Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutrition professor, well, and an exercise physiology professor, and I'm a competitive bodybuilder. Hello, Rob Fortress Fortney here, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a Highland Games and powerlifting athlete, a strength coach, and uh, founder of LiftForHope.org and StrengthGuild.com. Cool. All right. Well, guys, today we are... Listeners, we're we're dealing, except maybe Rob, we're dealing with sort of a lower motivational level when it comes to training and stuff. So we'll talk about that in, in a bit. But uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of news. I know Rob has some news before we get going. Um, a couple of things here. The the first piece I have is from Science Daily, and uh, if you follow me on Twitter, Science Daily is one of the websites that I'll actually use for nutrition blurbs when they come out. But this is from May 19th uh, of this year, of course. And you may think this is obvious, and I've, I know I have research on this on my hard drive already, but it says, uh, Science News, eating a protein-rich breakfast to reduce food cravings and prevent overeating later, researcher finds. So it says, University of Missouri researcher has found that eating a healthy breakfast, especially one high in protein, increases satiety and reduces hunger throughout the day. In addition, using functional magnetic resonance imaging, or functional MRI, the researchers found that eating a protein-rich breakfast reduces brain signals, controlling food motivation and reward-driven eating behavior. So, again, I've got research on this from before that you know protein has a high satiety value. We know that people that eat a more protein in their breakfast, they stay full longer. Yeah. I mean... I know there's a fat issue here, but imagine bacon and eggs. That's going to stick to your ribs longer than the Lucky Charms will, you know, that kind of stuff. But it says everyone knows that eating breakfast is important, but many people still don't make it a priority, said Heather Leedy, assistant professor of the MU Department of Nutrition and Exercise Physiology. I actually saw her uh, lecture in Washington. Uh, this research provides additional evidence that breakfast is a valuable strategy to control appetite and regulate food intake. So it says, in the study, Leedy assessed physiological hunger and satiety, you know, that sense of fullness, by measuring perceived appetite sensations and hormonal markers um, in combination with psychological reward-driven motivation to eat using functional MRI. And I think that's where it's kind of cool. They're actually looking at sort of brain scans in a way to, to look at this stuff um, in specific regions related to food motivation and reward. The researchers decided to target breakfast-skipping teens for two reasons. First, breakfast skippers had strongly associated, uh, breakfast skipping rather, uh, has been strongly associated with unhealthy snacking and overeating, especially at night, mm. um, and weight gain and obesity in breakfast skippers as well. Secondly, approximately 60% of adolescents skip breakfast on a daily basis. So that's sort of interesting. It says, for three weeks, the teens either continue to skip breakfast or consume 500-calorie breakfast meals containing cereal and milk, which contain normal quantities of protein, or high-protein meals prepared as Belgium waffle, waffles, syrup, and yogurt. So I don't know how they got the protein in there except for the yogurt, but 
Yeah. They might have snuck it into the waffles. At the end of each week, the volunteers completed appetite and satiety questionnaires. Right before lunch, they actually had a brain scan done. It says, compared to the breakfast skipping group, both breakfast meals led to increased fullness and reductions in hunger throughout the morning. Well, that's kind of obvious, I guess. But functional MRI results showed that brain activation in regions controlling food motivation and reward was reduced prior to lunch when uh, breakfast was consumed in the morning. Additionally, higher protein breakfast led to even greater changes in appetite, satiety, and reward-driven eating behaviors. So this is going to be published in the Journal of Obesity, apparently. So interesting stuff. We've, we, we're actually presenting data in Washington on breakfast skippers ourselves, and we are giving them protein bars and things like that. And So interesting stuff. More uh, evidence about protein being good stuff when it comes to, to breakfast especially. Uh, yeah. And my next news blurb here, this is actually uh, a, a reprint, if you will, from Mercola.com. I like to keep tabs on this guy. He's a very radical physician. I like a lot of his ideas, although I think he does get pretty esoteric with some things. But this is from May 29th, so pretty spanking new. But it's actually reprinted from uh, the British newspaper The Guardian. If you're not familiar with The Guardian, it's got a big circulation, over a quarter million circulation. It's one of the biggest newspapers in Britain. But it says, the UK Department of Health is putting the fast food companies, processed food companies, and soft drink manufacturers at the heart of writing its government policy on obesity. Fantastic. The companies in question include McDonald's, KFC, PepsiCo, Kellogg's, Unilever, Mars, and Diageo, I'm not familiar with that last one. Health Secretary Andrew Lanzi has set up five what he calls responsibility deal networks with businesses to come up with policies. Many say this is the equivalent of putting the cancer policy in the hands of the tobacco companies. Uh, according to The Guardian here, let's see. The groups are dominated by food and alcohol industry members who have been invited to suggest measures to tackle public health crises. In early meetings, these commercial partners have been invited to draft priorities and identify barriers such as EU, European Union, legislation that they would like removed. Wow. So imagine we, we've got places, you know, companies like PepsiCo and McDonald's and, and KFC helping to write nutrition policy. Fantastic. Uh, this actually says... Uh, also, according to The Guardian, the Alcohol Responsibility Deal Network is chaired by the head of the Spirit Trade Association. So, I mean, you could call these, yeah. uh, you know, stakeholders, but clearly, I mean, here's what I like that some of Mercola was saying is this is blatant folly, he says in one part. In another part, it says the very existence of these corporations rely on consumers maintaining their purchasing habits. Of course they do. So, I mean, how are they going to write fair and unbalanced policy? You know, I mean, I, I, I can see getting some input from them, but we'll have to see how this pans out. I mean, Britain has uh, doesn't have quite the obesity, obesity rates that the U.S. has, but they are climbing rapidly. Um, and down here it also mentions uh, questionable business practices from companies relating to aspartame or Monsanto and their genetically modified foods. Uh, I saw some of that in Washington, D.C. recently. Uh, it says, those running the food industry are out to make a profit, and often this comes at the expense of your health. So anyway, interesting news tidbit here. And, I mean, Mercola goes on to offer four suggestions. Basically, the article is entitled, Ignore Most Dietary Advice and Follow These Four Steps Instead. His four steps are pretty straightforward. Uh, focus on, you know, fresh whole foods instead of processed foods. Number two, avoid foods that contain high fructose corn syrup like the plague. 
Number three, limit or uh, even eliminate grain-type carbohydrates if you have diabetes or if you're overweight or have high blood pressure. And number four, replace sodas and sweetened beverages with clean, pure water. Uh, again, pretty straightforward, but again, if nutrition policy, governmental policy is being partly written by these organizations, there's an obvious conflict of interest there. They need people to buy high fructose corn syrup containing products and snack foods and whatnot, and yet they're supposed to be coming up with very neutral government recommendations. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I, I think one down here at the bottom says keep learning. Here's some suggestions that Mercola has, and I have one too. Food Inc., I think that's an interesting movie to watch. It's a little sensationalized at times, but not bad. Fast Food Nation, uh, there's uh, Cornography, and then I would add King Corn to that list, which is a movie I saw last fall, which was amazing about how two guys buy this, you know, acre of land in Iowa or something, and you know they they show sort of a, an, a microcosm of what the food industry is like by planting corn themselves and all the things that go into that, whether it's the you know genetically modified corn or how they it was clearly more profitable for them to plant corn than almost anything else. I mean, corn, wheat. Um, these are things that are subsidized in the U.S. and a lot of other things are not. So, but anyway, so further, further learning from some of that kind of stuff. So that's the news I've got, Rob. What do you have? Well, um, first of all, I want just want to mention the fact that at this New York Pro Show that was last week, Kai Green won, and I don't know. I, I think I think he might be the new Mr. Olympia um, from some of the shots that I've seen. I don't know. I'm kind of disheartened, though, with the, with the ranks and how they're looking these days. I don't know. It 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 seems to be much past the era of the, uh, you know, the the bodies that we saw in the uh, '90s and so forth. Do you see a lack of individuality? Yeah, everybody's starting to kind of bleed into each other and look the same, and all these people keep popping up on the scene that you know aren't really wowing. You know, um, those of us who have seen, you know, many years of bodybuilding competition at the highest levels. I don't know. It just doesn't seem any more like, uh, like you say, there's individuality to the, the physique so much, and you know these flash in the pan guys that come on the scene and then they're then they're gone the next. I don't know, but um, certainly Kite Green is a freak. I mean, he's he's a big dude, man. But um, I don't know. Is he, is he one of those guys that's like two ninety in shape or two seventy? No, shape I don't think he's that crazy. bad. He's like two sixty or two seventy. I don't think he's particularly tall, but. Uh, he has quite a story, of course. He's got some scandal in his past. Um, you know, videos floating around the internet with him doing, you know, some probably gay for pay type stuff and all that. So it's interesting though how the how the IFBB sometimes seems to, um, you know, um, scold or kind of you know punish some bodybuilders for doing stuff like that, and other ones seem to get away with it. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but um, yeah. interesting. You know what? I think in a lot of ways, ignorance is bliss. I sort of long for the Weeder era where everything was, you know, before the internet was big, you had magazines as your main source of information and they could sort of control what was put out there. And I mean, the, the, the ranks of the pro bodybuilders was, was almost a pantheon of deities, you know, for you to sort of worship. Yeah. And, and like, like we were saying, and of course there was more individuality in the physiques back then because when you're just using anabolic steroids and not everything else that goes along with them, or maybe it's a, a dosing, you know, total dose thing is going on as well. But yeah, there were personalities it seemed like in very different physiques, and they still looked fantastic. And yeah. when everybody's two seventy to two ninety in shape and kind of looking the same, and nobody seems to have the kind of 
individuality they used to from a, a mental perspective. I don't know. I, I tend to lose interest in some of it. Well, it also seems like the physiques are being ruined very quickly. And when I say ruined, I don't mean even necessarily just, you know, like what what used to be considered the quote-unquote lines. And you know what I'm talking about when I say that. You know, people were saying, oh, it wrecked his lines and stuff, which basically comes down to just, you know, how, how a certain individual's body can hold proportionately a certain amount of muscle and still have that aesthetic kind of ideal that, you know, bodybuilding was supposed to be about anyway but i'm right. ta- I'm talking about these physiques lately that just seem to be guys who come on the scene they look good for a couple years and then they their physique gets completely ruined i mean i know on some of the message boards people have put you know and no disrespect to uh dave palumbo but you know people have taken it upon themselves now to call what i'm talking about um this phenomenon called palumboism um you know kind of what happened to his physique towards the end and certainly what happened to greg kovacs and um, I love these guys, you know, like, um, you know, that young up, upstart Tro- Troy Brewer that was for a few years ago coming up in the, you know, NPC ranks and stuff like that. He he seems to have kind of washed out. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, some, like you said, some of the more kind of weird exotic drugs that people are using or something like that. But it seems to be actually destroying people's bodies faster and faster every year. Yeah, the, the growth hormone and IGF-1 combo with multi-gram doses of test and all that kind of stuff or who knows what else, but... I don't know. I you were talking about the term Palumboism, and, and again, yeah, I like Dave. No offense to Dave, and I mean he's a bright guy and he he knows what he's doing. But I think that term to me has always meant guys who they maintain tons of body weight, but over the years they seem to lose their arms or maybe their arms and their legs, right? And they keep a lot yeah. of torso mass and their arms and legs. They stay hard, but they be, and they stay vascular, but they become kind of small and unimpressive and. And you didn't see that back in the 80s. You I, know? I also quite wonder what's kind of going on. It seems like, you know, most people talk about, you know, the first body part to go when you get older, especially for bodybuilders, your your legs. But I don't know what it is with triceps. It seems to be a lot of guys, um, one of the first things they lose is triceps, you know. I mean, and even if you look at guys like Lou Ferrino and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, those guys might still have baseball biceps, but, you know, there, there's no triceps. They're gone. I mean, Ronnie Coleman's triceps are shot. I mean, they're, I don't know what happened with that. I mean, a lot of people actually think it's nerve damage. Um, and mm. I, I've heard that bantered about, you know, um, quite a bit. And my only thinking towards that, and obviously you can probably chime in with maybe a little bit more of a kind of a, you know, an official biology perspective. Yeah, but I mean, from my perspective, maybe it's just the fact that they're, you know, some of these guys are holding so, so, so much mass that over a certain period of time, somehow that's, um, creating some sort of disturbance in the, in the nerve, like, you know, the nerves that run through certain parts of the body. I don't know. I mean, certainly if you look in the case like Ronnie Coleman, I mean, here's a guy that when he was at his best as Mr. Olympia, you know, in the early part of, um, this past decade, I mean, he was just a freak beyond freak. And then it seems so very quickly that things start happening with him. Like, not only was he tearing several body parts, you know, um, but yeah, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, where does triceps go? Where the, where, you know, where's one of his legs is now like half the size of the other. And you're wondering what, 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 what's all that about? I think nerve damage is probably a good theory. I mean, obviously we're in uncharted territory there, but the brachial plexus of the arm and yeah, maybe there's somehow it, it just tends not to happen to the biceps, you know, what the, the nerves that are innervating the biceps, but it does to the tries. That's an interesting point. I never thought about it, but yeah, I mean, think about some of the bodybuilders with the biggest triceps ever, young, fresh, you know, huge guys. And yes, they're using growth hormone and all this other stuff, but it apparently, you know, isn't taking its toll yet. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned Paul DeMeo having some of the biggest triceps you've ever seen. 
yeah. you know, Paul, he was still young when he, when he was getting all that attention. Yeah. And just, you know, just colossal. But yeah, it doesn't seem in a way, you know what? It almost seems like in in a weird way maybe justice that, that eventually you pay the price a little bit. You know, that when you go that overboard, eventually, you know, it's just not going to last forever. I don't yeah. know. Well, and how much is it too that, you know, it's really easy to pick up a pair of dumbbells and do some curls and it's not that hard, but you know, to press and, and do all that stuff that the hard work to keep actual triceps. Maybe it's just they're backing off on that and when they still walk up to a dumbbell rack and you know, punch out some curls. You know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That, yeah, I also want to mention, and Lonnie will find this interesting. At the, I believe it was at the New York Pro that just happened. I think Pavel Jeplanicki made a re, re uh, reappearance. Do you remember that name, Lonnie? I sure do. He had a, he had a good physique. Boy, he was hard as granite. Yeah, he uh, exactly. And um, again, no disrespect to Pavel, but. Um, Sometimes you've got to wonder why these the, the guys feel the need to kind of kind of retirement. My my whole theory, and this usually this probably could apply to most, you know, sports at the performance sports at the elite level, but certainly certainly it does it in bodybuilding. My whole thing is this: when you, I mean, obviously, you know, not including the whole idea that of course when you get older that just happens, but certainly even when guys seem to like disappear for several years and come back in their mid late 30s or something like that they never seem to achieve what they did before and and certainly but you know if you're 35 40 years old there's really no reason you know why you're over quote that you know the hill at that level but it does seem to be that once um you achieve a certain degree of development and and kind of you know um um superiority in the sport of bodybuilding i mean it it, it almost doesn't matter how old you are you can't really make a comeback after several years of kind of letting it go because you you just never really kind of get back to that level. And certainly on Pavel, Pavel's kind of, um, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, probably, um, in his case, he is getting older. I think he's probably late 40s or so forth, which is is kind of getting on for bodybuilding. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's one of those things where I think if you're making a good run at it and you're doing well um, and you're reasonably young, I don't think that it, it ever ever can be done that you can take several years kind of you know off whatever that means and then come back and, and hope to kind of you know reclaim what you were even if you see you know you see guys like gary stratum and so forth and he came back you know for a while there and he's looking good he looked great but you know what there seemed there was obviously a lack of um fullness and kind of like uh you know just that little bit of extra size and thickness that that wasn't there when he left and i mean it, maybe you know maybe it's just the you know the, the initial accumulation of the of the density and mass that he had gained and then lost or i don't know what it is it doesn't but the second time around it doesn't seem to be again in, in this is in keeping with the fact that you are of a, of a you know reasonably youthful age it doesn't seem like you can reclaim that so I think you got to kind of stick to it when you're doing it, <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. realize that if you if you let it go for several years, you're probably not going to get back where where you were. And well, you were mentioning neuromuscular, you know, damage or you know, accumulated damage. And I think in a lot of ways, it's not just age, but it's the mileage. And I, I, you know, we've talked about this before. It almost seems like, and I have no real science behind this, but it seems like somehow m- metabolically, maybe not just neural, but metabolically. I don't know. Their androgen receptors aren't responding like responding like they once did, or you know, there's some kind of compensation thing with cortisol receptors, or you know, we're talking about you know genetic function here and everything. But I don't know. Somehow, yeah, they're metabolically things change, 
and you can't just continue. Um, I think maybe it's that there are some of these subtle effects of really high dose combinations of these anabolic drugs that slowly build structures that weren't there before. You know, so you end up with the more organ mass, or you end up with a different shape, and there's just not much you can do about that. Or I don't know, maybe there's a certain lifespan. Because I'll tell you, I, you look at some of these middle-aged guys who they, they get on the gas, uh, they get on different drugs, and they look pretty good. But you know, again, the mileage isn't high. It's just the age would be higher there. You know what I mean? Whereas there seems to be this, to me, five to eight year period where some of these guys metabolically or for whatever reason it is, they just sort of they lose that initial look, physical presence, and, and it, it, they just can't reclaim it. I mean, even the women, if you think about that, obviously they, they and, the androgens sort of masculinize them over time, and they, they never look quite the same. I, you and I, Rob, what, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there were definite examples of very attractive pro-bodybuilder women, and you could watch over time as they, their jawline changed and everything changed. Maybe there's something analogous that's happening just in the men, you know, where very, there are these slow effects that sort of accumulate either structurally or metabolically or neurally, and they're just a different person five to eight years later. Kind of going further to what you're saying about the women thing, I mean, and this is kind of going on uh, you know, a, a down a side road from what we were talking about, but speaking of the women, I mean, I think it's very dangerous for women to start delving into anabolic steroids of different types because um, it seems to be that a lot of women um, can get away and get all the positive effects of using stuff for a while, and I think that might fool them into thinking that they're getting away with it, because the virilization to me seems to happen more often than not, you know, several months, a couple years down the line, like you say, where it starts, those type of things start creeping up on them, you know, and, yeah. and then it's too late, you know, because I've seen many women who, you know, that happens to, even women who are in fitness and stuff, they, you know, some, you know, idiot boyfriend or whatever, you know, meatball at the gym, you know, tells them that a little bit of this and a little bit of that will just get them that little bit of extra. And, you know, they'll do it, um, you know, even conser very conservatively. And, of course, as you know, you know, when women use these substances, more often than not, the, respon the response is just outrageous. Right. And, you know, I'll tell you, Rob, I think some of it may be gateways, too. Maybe they do start off with something yeah. like na Nandrolone or Primabolin or something, and they get a really polished look, they get muscular, and then either for access reasons or they just get excited, they start turning to the straight test, yep. you know, and that's where things go bad. I, yeah. think, I think that's probably what it is. I think it's more the kid in the candy store thing. They get a little taste of this, and then it's, oh, well, it, that was okay, so I'll do this. And then, oh, well, you know, and they just take it too far. Right. Well, and you didn't used to see that. You know what I mean? I mean, there was a time where, like, Anya Longer, there's a name, or, you know, Rachel McLish, who probably, who, she arguably didn't use anything. I don't know. Maybe some. Uh, but you know what I mean? There was a time when they didn't make that na that sort of kid in the candy store progression, and yeah. they 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 stuck with the stuff that was uh, you know less androgenic or something. I don't know. Right, right. I also want to uh, going to a different topic. I also want to just uh, make mention of the fact that oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm still here. Oh, we're, we're, in other news, is that what you're, you got another news blurb? Yeah, sorry about that. I guess I cut off somewhere. Um, yeah, just that Randy Macho Man Savage. Um, has passed away, and of course, it's kind of, I guess, old news now. But I just thought on Iron Radio here we should, you know, give a shout because anybody, you know, who has name Macho Man, you know, this probably Iron Radio approved. And well, you you saw some of those you mentioned before online. Some of those guys come through your gyms when you were training. I mean, some of those guys were definitely bodybuilder esque. And you know what, guys like Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan, 
you could tell when they're on versus when they're not on. You know, there are times in their career, like when you saw Hulk Hogan in the Rocky movie or something, huge. And then, I mean, he's always big, but then he would change, you know, yeah. or he'd soften and shrink. Or And Randy Savage is the same way. Sometimes, when he was big, though, I mean, who doesn't love a purple screaming dude like that? <laughs> Just ready to, ready to pop, <laughs> you know? He was one of my favorites. The interesting thing about him is he was actually quite a good baseball player, apparently, before he got into wrestling. And if you guys remember in that first Spider-Man movie there several years ago with to- um, Tobey Maguire, I think that first one, when he got in the ring before he kind of like finalized what his Spider-Man costume was going to be, of course, that was Randy Savage. That was the wrestler in that in that movie. And... The interesting thing is, when Randy first started professional wrestling, apparently he had some um, character that was called the Spider or something like that. So oh, I, wow. I, I don't know if that had anything to do with why somebody thought it was a good idea to cast him in there, but I thought it was interesting. But, you know, he uh, I, I think it was fi- he was 59 or 60 years old. So um, I don't know. It seems to be a lot of people that, I mean, when you look at the list of professional um, wrestlers in the last, you know, 12, 15 years that have died, you know, prematurely, it's it's pretty astounding, really. And I mean, I don't know is that you know people, of course, will throw out the whole thing of steroids and stuff. But I, you know, I mean, if that were the case, I think you would see the same kind of death um, tool that would happen in again things like professional bodybuilding and so forth. And you don't. And some people have been saying things about just like all the maybe recreational drugs they also use, or right, the, or combination, just, or yeah. the apparently painkiller drugs are obviously a huge thing in professional wrestling. Um, as as I mean, and I don't think that's. You know, far from any sort of <laughs> understanding of what that. I mean, these, these guys are worked hard, you know. And I, yeah. you know, I, it always really bugs me when you people are like, you know, professional wrestling, and the first thing out of the mouth is, oh, it's all fake, it's all bullshit, it's all. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, these guys, um, certainly, uh, you know, at the big um, uh, promotions, like obviously like a WWE or something like that. I mean, these guys work and they're on the road like <laughs> 300 days a year, you yeah. know. And Athletically, it is, I'm sure it's very abusive. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, these are, I mean call it what you want but these are big men you know throwing and uh tossing each other around and choreographed or not you're still getting your ass slammed all over the place yeah and i i don't know i mean it's like i said if you if anybody out there you know if you go online you look at some people have actually made lists of you know on youtube and stuff like that it's like memorials with different all the names that i mean and it really is astounding how many people have died you know that um in like i said in the last 10 12 15 years and um, it, it's upsetting, you know, because again, a lot of these guys are, I mean, certainly guys for our age, you know, like Lonnie and I, you know, it's, it's a lot of these guys are, you know, arguably as kind of like inspirational to us as, you know, some of the pro bodybuilders, right? When you're looking at the kind of the, you know, what were the glory years of right. the W, what was at that time, the WWF and so forth, you know? I was but, just going to say, yeah, that was the heyday there. I see parallels with bodybuilding. You right. Know, I mean, you talk about the golden years. Those aren't coming back. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing with, yeah, big time wrestling. I mean, you know, I think, I think. You know, and when you look at even Randy Savage, I think he made his debut in the WWF. Again, what was the WWF at that time? Um, you know, I think it was 84 or 85, you know, um, that he, you know, came into there after doing, you know, smaller promotions for several years. And, you know, so, I mean, that was that was really the golden area of uh, era, you know. And you got guys like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and, you know, then the Ultimate Warrior and all those types of things. So, um, but, yeah. yeah. British Bulldogs, all those big dudes. Yeah, I mean, uh, he dead. I mean, he's dead. You know, uh, Hawk from, uh, you know, Legion of Doom, dead. Um, you know, Miss Elizabeth, who was, I think, at one time was married to Randy Savage, and certainly in the storylines, that was his, you know, girlfriend wife. I mean, she's dead. Um, wow. I think Randy, uh, the, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, 
anyway, the, the, the list really goes on and on and on, and it's it's very upsetting. And like I say, if it was only attributable to you know steroid use, I guess you'd see it in a lot in other sports too, but you don't. So it must be yeah. just the co- combination of um, again, whether it might be recreational drug use or painkiller use, and and or just being overworked to the degree, and and just the, the physical abuse they take. Right. You know, I'm, like like a thoroughbred horse or something. You know, they just get used up. And, you know, that's that's actually a decent segue into our topic, which is about, you know, what happens when you when you are beat down or how do you have enough sense to, uh, you know, to take a break or, or when do you not? And I can imagine with those guys, too, it's like that old theatrical phrase, the show must go on, you know, yeah. and they had to just continue. That's what their contracts were about. And they just. They got used up, I think. Yeah. Before we get into that, one more thing. I just want some of our listeners to know that I have been trying to get Ed Cohn for two years now on the show. Um, and I've never two had... Two years. Two, two years. And, I mean, this is a guy that I've, I've had, you know, a good speaking relationship with for uh, quite a while. And him and I kind of had a flame out there a couple of weeks ago because I, I called him on it because uh, he had said that he would... Um, repeatedly, and, and that he'd let me know when he was going to be on. And every time I spoke, I did speak with him. Um, it was always the same thing that he was going to get back to me about it, and he never did. And I sent him an email just saying, "Look, it's been two years. If you don't want to be on, you know." Anyway, the whole point is, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, start a big feud here. All I'd just like to our li- re- listeners to know that I, I did try very hard to get the guy on. And for- I always liked Eddie. And you know what? I think the take home message here, listeners, is Fortress only waits in line for so long. Yeah, and, you know, and his response when I emailed him, you know, which was, was, you know, uh, I've always been nice to you. And, and I said to him, that's not the issue. The issue is, you know, it's been two years and, it, you know, I've given you more than ample opportunity just to say you weren't sure, interested. Sure. But anyway, like I said. In or out, right? Yeah. yeah, like, you know, like, arguably pound for pound, the best powerlifter that I ever lived. Um, of course, now. Always one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a little perturbed of the whole thing. And I'm sure he's pissed off at me because he thinks maybe I, you know, ran at him a little too hard. But, the the point being is you know i i would think that after 2 years if somebody had any interest whatsoever or sincerity to their you know saying that they want to be on at some point that you know they could have found 45 minutes sometimes so well before we break i think listeners should know too i mean uh, rob as you know knows a, a bevy of professional strength athletes powerlifters and bodybuilders for, partly from his years with muscle mag international but even beyond that and uh, you know what? Some of these guys are just frankly sort of flaky. When someone says, oh, get so-and-so on, well, we can reach out. But, you know, some of these people, they either they're on some kind of a contract or they want paid or something like that. And, you know, we're just not going to do that. I mean, most people recognize, most of the athletes do recognize it's good publicity for them to be on. We get to talk about their origins, what they've got going on lately. But, you know, it's it's not a given. It's not like we can just hand pick and people are all jumping. Even though we have good circulation numbers and good readership and listenership and whatnot, you know, it's it's really a crapshoot. So, yeah, you know, and it's one of those, for at least giving it a shot. You know, and it's one of those things where I found, I mean, Eddie, one of the reasons I much prefer to be starting to deal with powerlifters and so forth and, you know, strongman competitors was because I found, I had found them, Brian Large, to be less, much less flaky. And, and, and that's yeah. why it's particularly upsetting for me because, you know, Ed Cohen has always treated me well when I spoke with him. And it, it just seems like he's been kind of dicking me around a bit like with this and and that's upsetting again you know no, no offense to ed but you know he has been flicking around a little bit about it i'm sure he hates my guts now too but i mean you know we've had scott mendelson on here and brad gillingham and Derek poundstone i mean these are all the you know some of the biggest names in the world of strength 
Um, and every time I deal with these guys, you know, it's it's uh, you just never know. It's straight shooting, so I don't know. But I, I tried, guys. So whatever. All right. Well, m- moving on. Moving on. Okay. Well, let's take a break for some messages here. When we get back, we're going to do the topic of the day, which is, I guess we could say, you know, when to change gears and seek for ways to get motivated versus when to sort of engage the maturity and uh, take a break. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. Uh, there's currently one running on tnation.com about how to decide when to do more exercise versus diet when you're trying to lean out during those times of the year. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Okay, we're back. Today's topic is when to change gears and stay motivated versus, you know, take a break, uh, how at least we deal with these things. And I think we're going to start with Phil here just as far as personal stories because we're just basically talking about how things are going with our training. I'll talk about me post-contest and what I'm doing. But So, Phil, what's up with you? Now, you, you said your hip's been really yeah, I mean, we've known for a while. I mean, I got x-rays back uh, a year and a half ago and, you know, showed a degenerative hip. I, there was no – it was down to zero cartilage in the back of the cup, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I've trained through it. I went for that that 800, 800 pull that I just barely missed, 804, and um, took a short break after that. I was moving and things like that. So there was kind of a lull in training right there and, and kind of a down point after that meet. And, uh, you know, getting back to things, and it's like, okay, am I, I'm ready to make this push. And, uh, you know, the last month, it's just been worse and worse. And, you know, it's to the point last night, I mean, I probably got, you know, a half an hour sleep here, a half an hour sleep there of, of unbroken rest. And it's like, I, it, it's like to that point, can I make that push and do I want to? Is it worth it? Um, to take that one more shot at that 800 before, because, I mean, it's inevitable I have to get this thing replaced. Um, there's no way around it, but, um, yeah. you know, the, this pain level and the discomfort and I guess, um, you know, quality of life is to the point where it's like, man, is 800 right now really worth it? Or do I want to, you know, maybe I can get it fixed and be the guy that pulls 800 after a hip replacement. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's I a mean, PR. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and it's, you know, it's hard to stay motivated when you're in pain. Oh, it's, it's, it's real hard to stay motivated. And, you know, I've got a... I've got a Highland Games meet coming up. That that kind of helps because it's a lot more throwing stuff. But I mean, that's still very hip, hip dominant. But at least I'm, uh, it's on my left leg, so that's my plant leg. So I'm still okay. But I mean, it's just so you could compensate by switching gears there. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I, I can switch gears there and kind of focus on that a bit and just try and forget, you know, what I'm potentially losing in the weight room right now, if anything. But you know, I still went in and after. You know, that meet was in January, and I hadn't done what I'd call any serious training since January and went in and pulled 685 off the floor fairly easy. 
Now, does that ruin your hip? That hurt your hip like a deep squat does, or, or does no, no, not at all. And oddly enough, I figured it would because I'm I'm very much a, a high hip, you know, conventional puller. So I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I'm in a great amount of of, of hip flexion, but I, I it doesn't do the same as a squat. And uh, mm. you know, I've pretty much cut off squatting for for a year and a half now, except for just very limited and squatting high. <laughs> I squat to the point just above where where the pain happens. I mean, because it's literally, I mean, like I was telling you guys, um, ah, well, hell, I went to one of Mark Ripto's seminars. He's teaching his starting strength, and he had the whole, everybody in attendance get quiet so they could hear my bones grind. Um, oh, you could actually hear it externally out of my body. <laughs> and like you said, it's the rotation in the socket, it, it, it happens deep in the hole. Yeah, right? it's, it's the last few inches from about two inches above parallel down. You'll just hear this, and it's Ooh. like it's like you're you're hitting a, I don't know one of those one of those run, runaway truck ramps on the highway. So you're oh. going down nice and smooth, and then you know, it's just like somebody hit the brakes. Right, and you know that's a, like you said, that's sort of a physical reality. You simply don't have the cartilaginous lining over the. Yeah. You know the uh, femoral head or whatever, or you know the acetabulum, whatever's going on in there. It's the lining's not there, and you can't pretend it is. No, no, no matter what I do, I can't pretend it is. So I mean, it's just been me trying to get creative and work my way around it, and that's why, you know, I switched away from from wanting the big, big total to, I just want a huge friggin' deadlift because I can still do that with no pain. Well, let me ask you this: This is naive, but. Are there power meets where you could just go in and say, I'm just here to dead? Oh, yeah. You can do deadlift only, but the records are different. Um, you know, your full meet deadlift is, is different, but you can go in. Like in the last one, I took a token squat. You know, I went in, and I, I can go in and squat 95 pounds if I want. And then, okay, and then yeah. still go for the deadlift full meet record. Oh, I, I got you. you know? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so your total is going to be pathetic, but you yeah. don't give it and that's – exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and I yeah. was going in to be the person that, that like – ranked elite with a very horrible squat, you know, okay. my, my deadlifts three times what the squat is type right. of thing. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, Phil, you, you guys would be proud of me. I have never, as you guys know, I've never really deadlifted. And after my competition, you know, I was feeling a lot of burnout and I'm feeling very beat up. It's only about three weeks afterward. And it's amazing to me. Psychologically, it feels like my competition was a year ago. I mean, it's just it's bizarre for me, you know, because I just switched gears so hard. I'm purposely putting some body fat back on, having a good time doing that. But but I I, I started deadlifting, and I don't know what I'm doing right with yeah. powerlifting style technique in the bench and the dead. N- just not good at those things. Squat, I'm I'm sort of a natural. I mean, I'm kind of short. I have no problem going deep, you know, and I can probably. Well, my best was about 500 for a triple, so I'm not a bad squatter. But uh, anyway, I deadlifted. I haven't deadlifted ever, really, and I think I like sumo. I don't know. I was just kind of playing around with both, and I'm probably doing it wrong. But I, I put, uh, I just worked up to like th- a set with you know just three or four reps with 350, and I'm like, hey, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So. Well, you, I mean, you have the that's flexion. That's funny for you guys because half of what you guys are deadlifting. Well, no, but, but you, that was heavy for me. Well, no, but you know what? And and the thing is, you have the flexibility for sumo quite well. Um, you know, but it's one of those things that's interesting. I was in the gym deadlifting the other day, and I had a guy who I've known for several years who's a personal trainer, and he's been a bodybuilder for so many years, kind of like a you know, 25, 30-year guy. He's forty, going to be 48 soon. And he actually asked if he could come deadlift with me. Cause, um, and, and, you know, the, the guy pulled a very... Reasonable, good rep with 
425 and he had more in him and he was like oh i'm surprised i could pull that and i'm saying well you know when you train that long you know stiff leg deadlifts ever all i mean you're gonna you're gonna have some you know potentiation of some strength there you know what i mean so for a guy like you lon honestly it's like if you, if you really kind of put it to it for a bit i think you'd be absolutely blown away with what you're doing well i think that's why I, i'm gonna start talking to some people who know what they're doing you know, I'm actually taking – I wrote down in my training manual too because I want to use numbers to force myself. I'm going to give myself eight weeks to heal up. I was telling Phil over the break that you know, I don't know if it's the origin of some of my forearm extensor muscles or what. My left elbow is killing me, and I need to heal up before I start trying to heavy bench or anything. But but the deadlift is something I can sort of play around with. And so I'm actually I'm, – I'm, I'm going to do a, a three-time-a-week sort of program where – uh, two of those days, I'm actually doing bench, squat, and dead, almost like a heavy power circuit. On some days, I might do heavy rows instead of the the deadlifts. But and then one day a week, more like accessory bodybuilder day. You know, it's where I can do some specific, I don't know, you know, uh, biceps, triceps work, calves, delts, whatever. Uh, maybe even a little bit of conditioning because one of the things I noticed after a year of putting into the, these this last series of competitions is that. You know, you get sort of these overuse injuries from doing exactly the same bodybuilding movements over and over and over. And I've just got to get healed up and functional again. But my motivation is pretty fried. But I thought at least if I switch gears like this and, you know, two days a week are heavy and one day is sort of accessory work uh, or bodybuilder type stuff, you know, I'll do that. Basically, just punch the clock, right? That's been our term for a long time now. And that's what I want to do is just through the months of June and July probably, just punch the clock and get in there so I don't completely atrophy into a ball of scar tissue and, and no muscle mass at all and maybe get some soft tissue work done, you know, some deep tissue massage and stuff because I've never taken care of myself from that perspective. I just don't have the patience to r- do personal roller stuff on myself. You know what I mean? I just – yeah, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time making myself do that. So I, I'm going to go see somebody I think and, and try to get – uh fixed up here because right now i'm just a ball of pain and i'm sure nowhere near as bad as phil mine's all soft tissue but you know the fact remains so yeah and the thing is you know is for for all you know people's you know the macho talk about you know pain this pain that i'll tell you man nothing nothing can really just push you to near the level of insanity (laughs) more than just a kind of a, you know, uh, an ongoing pain that's just, yeah. you know, sitting there throbbing. So, I mean, you know, you feel you have all the, I've never had anything nearly as bad as what you have, but I've had things, you know, for, a, you know, a day or two really kind of throbbing. And I, I can tell you, man, I, I sympathize because that, that could be a horrible, horrible thing. Well, I think it's more damaging some in some ways for athletes than anybody else. My, my wife uh, is a counselor and she's interested in chronic pain for listeners and and one of the things I think that's especially important emotionally for athletes is when a normal person has chronic pain, it wears them down badly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's not part of their core identity to perform. And so when an athlete has that kind of pain and they can no longer train the way they want, that's where I think it's important to try to switch gears and find out what doesn't hurt, what can you do. Because to the athlete, in a lot of ways, it's even more traumatic because you're losing your identity by not being able to train. I mean, how many times on this podcast have we talked about it being home, you know, feeling the bar in your hands? And, and when, when you take that away yeah. and you even change visually, you know, that's even more of a blow, I think, than to the average pain sufferer. Oh, I agree. And that's, that's 
right where you said. I mean, I've dealt with other injuries and this and that, and you know, I've written about this. It's you know, I kind of try and I, I twist injuries around to my next. Uh, you know, they're my they're my next goal. They're my next uh, hill to conquer. And it's what can I? Okay, I can't squat. What can I do? And I'm really going to take that on. You know, it's just it's finding that new twist. You know, if I get this hip replacement done, sure, I'm not going to be able to friggin' walk for a while, and it's going to be no, yeah. You know, it'll be let's see how much I can bench. You know, let's see how many chins I can do. Type right. Of thing. You know, there's always something to do, and it's it's you've got to. That's why I tell people they get injured. Fine, feel bad about it for a day, and tomorrow, you just got to let it go, and you got to work on what you can. Right. You know? And I'll tell you what, Phil, too, when you're talking about the challenge of overcoming it. Boy, seek like an orthopedic surgeon who understands sports, sports medicine. You know what I mean? I think a lot of them probably do. But uh, I remember my sister talking about knee replacements. She's a knee and shoulder specialist, but about how sometimes they'll just sort of let the hamstring scar down into place and stuff. And I mean, if you're an old lady and all you want is to be ambulatory, (laughs) that's one thing. But, you know, I think there may be special considerations for you, you know, making it crystal clear that you want to be able to continue to lift heavy, at least in some way. And hopefully you'll get a sports physician who can understand that and, you know, maybe do some extra suturing or stapling or something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, if, if your issue is the, the ball and socket itself, yeah. Nah, I mean, I don't know. So. But Rob, of the three of us, you're not really down on motivation. You're actually starting to gear up for the fall, right? Yeah, I uh, just uh, last, well, actually Friday, um, no Thursday, last Thursday, I on the way to the gym to do some squats. I put in my uh, entry form for a October 22nd meet here in southern Ontario, Canada. So, woo, yeah. But it, it's a three lift meet. Um, it's going. I'm still going to the open class, and um, it's not a raw meet. But I, um, I'm just going to lift it raw anyway. So, and uh, hopefully I'll qualify for nationals or something at this one, which I don't foresee as a problem. And I'm not bragging, but um, no, that'd be cool. That's one of the things that I was sort of in the back of my mind hoping to do. It not that I would ever compete on a national stage, just because I'm not hormonally prepared to do that. But, I, yeah, I, I wanted to place in the top two in that national qualifier, and I got a third. I'm like, oh. Well, the thing is, you know, and, and you, Lonnie, you better than anybody know that this is true for me. I mean, competition is not, it's, it, it's not fundamental to, to my motivation at no. all. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I, um, it's not like I don't value competition, because I most certainly do, um, you know, and I have the utmost respect for, you know, guys like Phil and that. Who've, but know, only insofar as it challenges you yourself. Right, but, you know, you know. And even, you know, if you look at Jim Wendler being on the show there a week or two ago, and he was talking about, I think, you know, um, one of his quotes was something to the effect of, you know, if, it, it, you know, it, it, you can always, you know, just wait till you, you know, get into a competition or meet to really fire up your training. And the truth of the matter is, I don't really get more or less fired up from a competition, whether it be in the past when I was a bodybuilder or now as a powerlifter. I... I just I, I would say my strongest you know um, attribute as a weight trainer um, you know beyond genetics or anything else is is the fact that I just have so much motivation and, and again it's just one of those things where it's just always been there and and several times over the last twenty years you know I've always wondered you know is there is there going to come a time where it's going to be extinguished a little bit you know or something's going to happen that's going to you know, knock it down as far as my hunger to do it, and it it, it just keeps getting more. You know, so <laughs> I don't I don't know what that what, what the deal is with that, but I'm I'm kind of, that's the kind of personality I am anyway. I mean, people who know me know that I'm 
you know, as, as equally if not more into the music I listen to, which is you know hard rock and heavy metal. Um, you know, it's maybe the one thing that I might be even slightly more passionate about. So when I latch on to something, I'm kind of with it forever, you know? And, right. and luckily those two things mesh. I mean, well, yeah, well, metal is a great way to stay motivated, you know, and get pumped up for the gym. I, in the future, by the way, listeners, we're going to have a psych episode or something like that and just sweet. talk about how we get pumped up for the gym. So. Um, no, another bit of news, actually, that you just reminded me of me, Rob, and it, and it fits into the topic. Um, don't know how much of this I should say. I got a personal email, though, um, so I just want to give a shout-out to Jim Wendler. Um, he was on a big, that big bike trek he was telling us about that he was going to do on his chopper. And, uh, on the highway, he got hit by a car from behind. Oh, God. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, so, um, just, just when I, I think everything is, is potentially, is okay, but, um, as okay as things can be getting hit on a motorcycle on the highway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, just, just giving a shout out to him, and I'm sure, you know, he'll find whatever it is he has to bounce back from, I'm sure he'll be back. Well, yeah, he was only on like a week or two ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, man, from Iron Radio, man. I hope everything's okay, and if it's not, I hope it uh, becomes okay. <laughs> Jeez. Here's hoping your muscle mass saved you. You know so. what? And, and you know, it's I, how often do you hear that, right? Well, well, it's true. I mean, look at like Sergio Oliva. You know that you know the, uh, the second, you know, three time Mister Olympia. He, uh, I mean, here he, here's a guy that was a Chicago cop for many years, and I think he I think he took two bullets in two different incidences in the chest. Um, I think his wife, who was in a domestic thing at the time, shot him in the chest. And I think he got shot in the street at one point, too. And I think in both instances, the doctor told him that it was only his, just, you know, the thickness of his pecs that essentially at least slowed the bullet down. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. And I also remember, um, I'm trying to think who it was. Well, Scott Mendelson said he ripped the steering wheel off the car. He was in a massive accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah he said he had the, the steering wheel in his hand when it went Outrageous. Through because he was, he was bracing so hard. Um, the steering column, he said, was only like an inch away from his sternum, too. So, but anyway, but I can't remember who it was, but one of the top pro bodybuilders in the late 80s, early 90s, I remember, got in a car accident, too, and he actually got thrown right through the windshield and got flung like 30 or 40. I remember that, Rob, and there was that? an actual write-up in one of the muscle mags about yeah. how his muscle mass held him together or I think somehow. it might have been Barry DeMay. I, I can't remember, and don't quote me on that, but it was one of those types of guys and the doctor, apparently, I remember it was in Flex Magazine, so I can't remember exactly how he would put, but apparently the doctor had told him that, well, you know, uh, if, if it wasn't for his strength, his muscle mass, and his just his physicality, that he probably would have been literally ripped in several pieces as he was going through, and that he was just held together because of his muscularity and so forth. So, Well, let's uh, hope, hope uh, Jim's muscle armor held up for well, him. Well, I, I would think that he would have a better shot than most then, yeah, you know, like a big beefy dude. So, you know, hope he's okay. Okay. Well, I think we're about out of time here. We're just going to kind of call it a little early today. So, We uh, were all over the damn map today. Yeah, we were. But, yeah. No, well, you know, we're kind of up and down. We got some news and things like that, uh, both industry and science and whatnot. But, you know... Listen, you know, Phil and I are sort of trying to decide what, what to do with ourselves. At least Phil's competing again. Uh, I'm going to try something new. But, you know, it's a, little bit, a bit of a lull, but maybe that's good that we have three hosts because, well, two of us are thinking about other stuff. You know, Rob, you're specifically gearing up in your main sport, so yeah. kind of cool like that. It's ebb and flow, I guess. But You know, and, and it's like I tell guys, you know, I, and obviously this is, you know, in Phil's case, this is more much more serious and severe, and I'm not trying to downplay it, but... You know, we we all take, you know, we we all have battle scars. I think it was you actually, Lonnie, who one time said that. You know, I think he referred to something with me like, you know, it's battle scars. And 
it's like I tell guys at the gym all the time, you know, young guys who've been training for a few years and they got an aching pain. I'm like, you know, you got to kind of get used to it to a degree. And that's that's not saying accept it and don't try and learn from it. That's not what. Right. I'm but you learn what's catastrophic versus yeah. nagging. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's like sometimes I think people really who engage in intense weight training, whatever kind of specific discipline it might be. You know, bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, whatever it is. The point is, is that and I tell guys this all the time. I think um, in the, you know, the, the throes of the, you know, the machismo of a, of a guy, you know, who goes, who's really passionate about it, and goes at it. They don't fully recognize just how um, strenuous that type of activity is on the human body. Right. In you can't go the, to battle year in and year out and not have some battle scars. You know, and shit happens, right? And, I mean, it, it, again, the whole idea is to try and downplay, again, the you know the, the minor things from things that are catastrophic. And even at the best of times, the bath athletes who have the most information, I mean, you know, like Phil certainly doesn't not know what the hell he's doing. I can, you know, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's essentially for all intents and purposes a professional you know strength athlete and it sometimes it just catches up to you in some way and you never really know what's around the corner so the whole thing is you have to always be mindful and i always tell people it's not that you're ever fearful of anything because fear is you know it's just that you have to respect what it is that you're doing um you know the poundage the movement the, the kind of stress that you're putting on yourself you have to be respectful of it and you have you know you, and you have to always do Whatever is within your means, you know, without completely, you know, taking you off the path of where you're trying to go, you know, and trying to just minimize what happens. But even at the best of times, like I say, I mean, I, I'm aching all the time. You know, I have, I mean, again, and I'm, it's, it's nothing compared to what Phil's dealing with right now, but, you know, I'm, I'm constantly aching here and there. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, after 20 plus years, it's like, whatever. Right. Well, you that's know, why I'm focusing on, on deadlifts right now because I've never done it before. Almost every time I do it, it's going to be a PR, and my left elbow is just kind of destroyed. My right elbow bow is sort of robo-elbow. I got titanium staples in there. I, that one's all good. Yeah. But the, the left one, no titanium. You know, That's a, that's a 42-year-old elbow, and some of the origins and insertions of my forearm muscles and my triceps and stuff, I mean – it's just really stinging and hurting, and I'm and I'm icing it all the time. But you know, so obviously I'm not going to try to start powerlifting with a bench press focus right now. Yeah. But deadlifts, well, okay, you know, that's not going to do anything there. So, you know, play around with that for a while. And and honestly, I'm just purposely trying to back off for a couple of weeks too. Well, I think so, it's yeah. worth mentioning too. I mean, you know, I don't, and I know you guys. I don't regret anything. I don't regret any of the scars. I have. Hell no, no, <laughs> no. yeah, no. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not bitching about it. It's like you know, I they're 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 almost a, a matter of pride, you know. And they are. I, I we talked about that I think before. Yeah, your scar, battle scar, war scarred veteran. Yeah, and well, I I'm, knew I knew going for 800 that I had a, a hip was bad, and it's like I, I I'm gonna see if I can still freaking do it. Yeah. You know, do, do, like, you re, do you remember Lonnie that time? Uh, you know, several years ago we were at some, I don't even know where we were, but there was some sort of um, uh, banquet eating thing and we were sitting there at a table and of course Kaz Meyer was there and he was he was we were sitting at a, a t one of the many tables and he was behind us at that thing going through the line getting food on it and I looked at you he was just his back you know and and I remember I said something to you like can you imagine Lonnie just the accumulated pounds that that physique right there has you know supported moved hoisted Dured. and yeah. and we were just kind of commenting on it and I mean when you look at it, I mean, any one of us, I mean, when you look at just the accumulation, you know, of poundage that, again, moved, hoisted, supported, I mean, you know, your body's getting, it's like a car, man, it's getting beat up, you know, but as Phil says, I mean, if the passion drives you to the point, you know, where you achieve something in this, 
it's one of those things where, yeah, do you regret it? Well, I mean, not really, because I mean, what's the alternative? I always say, what's the alternative to be a you know a, a soft, weak dude on a couch, right? Like, right. I, no, in, in every case, and that's why I, I know you don't like when I talk like this, but I have to acknowledge that I'm a little bit smaller framed. I mean, 500 pounds on my back, my whole body is shaking. I mean, you're built like a Humvee. You know, or a, or a Mack truck. Phil, I look at like a dragster who runs so hard and fast he blows things. <laughs> and I'm more like a sports car, but you know, some sports cars you gotta take into the shop and get them fixed a lot. So I think, uh, you know, I just gotta acknowledge that I just, uh, ran my Indy 500, you know, so now I'm gonna have to just, uh, do some work laps for a while or something. I don't know. Anyway. Okay guys, right, let's wrap it up. Good show. Alright. We'll talk later. to you next time. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. So thank you to those who have done it. Uh, our mug drive, where we're giving away some thank you mugs, almost over at this point. We have just a handful left. And uh, those of you who have already supported us with a $4 a month recurring donation, your mugs are on the way. Again, thank you 50 times. And in the future, we'll try other promotions as well. Thanks. And we'd like to also announce that with our 100th episode, we're going to offer that caption contest on our Facebook uh, listeners page. So go to Facebook, type in Iron Radio, look at the pictures of Phil and Rob. We're going to have a picture of each of these guys and caption the photo. It should be fun. So again, go to Facebook, Iron Radio listeners page and tell us what Rob and Phil are doing, at least in your head. Should be fun, and you'll win a prize if we choose you as the funniest caption. Thanks. For the best sports nutrition information on the planet, make plans to attend the 8th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo, June 23rd to 25th, 2011, at the Westin Las Vegas Hotel, Casino, and Spa. We'll have the latest on creatine, beta-alanine, protein, nutrient timing, and much, much more. So... For more information, go to www.vissn.org. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.